Today, we are going to talk about Christians in culture. (laughs) Christians in culture. So how many of you have heard the phrase, be in the world, but not of the world? Okay, how do you do that well? Because it's one thing to quote it, it's another thing to live it and live it well, huh? Be in the world, but not of the world. How many of you guys grew up in church? Quite a few of you guys. I grew up in church. Hey, my parents got saved in a holiness Pentecostal church. That's the people you're afraid of at Walmart. (laughs) Got saved in a holiness, a little small holiness Pentecostal church, man. Holy rollers. That's what they called us. Because the women, you know, had the big, long, beehive hairdo. And roll would literally roll. That's why they call them bobby pins and dresses. And that's the way they rolled. I know, looking back, it's a little bit weird. But here's the thing. My parents got saved into that church. They got discipled in that church. And the power of God was present in those churches, man. I, I, that's one thing. Is before we you know, cast stones and judge other people's expressions, no matter how liberal, how conservative they are, I know this. Jesus loves to show up and hang out with the last people that you think he should be around. So be careful before you start declaring who's blessed. Because Jesus will start hanging out with people you think he shouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Wow. Okay. So this is one of those things we have to know if we're going to engage in culture. Because Jesus is not afraid of sin. Jesus is not afraid of darkness. There is no reason to be afraid of darkness when you understand that you are the light of the world. There's no reason to be afraid of sin when you understand that you are the salt of the earth. Yeah, I'm stepping into a dark place. Yeah, I'm stepping into a sinful place. Yeah, I'm stepping into a bar at 11 p.m. playing a show. Oh, see, yeah, I know some people don't want to talk about this. But I'm bringing the light. I'm bringing the Holy Spirit. I'm bringing love. I'm bringing transformation. I'm bringing change. I'm not set up here as a thermometer. I'm discerning that the spiritual atmosphere is way too dark for me to be here. It just irks my spirit. No, I am a thermostat. I come in full. So I tweak the environment to the degree that the Holy Spirit communicates to me. What do you want to do here, God? Who do you want to speak to? Who are you talking about? What is their God-given identity in you? And then that's where we go. See, I think we need some party theology in the church. I think we need to understand how to go to a party and have some fun and be a light. I know some people are worried about shouting me down. But Jesus did this at a place called Cana where he turned water into wine for people who were already drinking. Now, I know I'm not going to get that many amens on that. But listen, Jesus was a life of the party, right? People argue, man, that was grape juice, man. Do some research. Do some research. Hey, here's what I can guarantee you. Jesus wasn't drunk. Here's what I can guarantee you. Jesus didn't sin. So some people think, oh, man, in order to win the world, I have to uh, become all things to all men so that I might win some. Let me tell you, look, you're not going to win souls getting blasted drunk with them on Saturday 
and thinking they're going to come to church with you on Sunday. Man, I'm in trouble already. Is this too real? This is just the introduction. But I grew up in this Pentecostal church, you know, and the world was real scary in that, in that church. You guys know what I'm talking about. It was like, man, you can't, you can't go out. You can't go to the movie house. I literally heard that. You can't go to the movie house. Devil, get on you there. Ruin your life. Better not go to the movies. I mean, they preach, they preach against everything. I remember growing up, I'm like, I know what we're against, but I just don't know what we're for. <laughs> you know? So you guys are laughing. You may have been experienced, you know, experienced uh, a church like this, but I'm not bashing the church because here's the thing. That church understood something that this church, and not just this church, I'm talking about the modern day, postmodern, post-evangelical church needs to understand, which is the reality, the truth of being set apart. Every now and then, it's good for us to get the understanding. Man, I've been set apart. I have been consecrated to live a holy life. I've not been separated from something, but I've been separated to someone. So I can engage in culture freely and cleanly with clean hands and a pure heart because I am obedient to Jesus and the person he's called me to come to become and to accomplish the assignment that he has given me to accomplish. You guys getting anything out of this so far? And so, you know, as a kid, it was like, man, you better not mess with the world culture because it's terribly bad and super scary. You know, that's what I heard growing up. And uh, I do think maybe the intent was good. But on the other hand, how many of you guys know that the scripture plainly teaches us to go out into all the world? Somebody say culture. And preach the gospel. You could be an evangelist of Facebook. You could be a missionary to YouTube. You could be an apostle to business, entrepreneurship. You could be a prophet to the entertainment industry. How many of you guys know this? You could be a teacher to the education mountain, but not just a teacher in the sense of I teach third grade, but you could be a Holy Spirit anointed teacher to kids, teaching them biblical principles even when they don't know what you're saying. You can disciple people long before they get saved because you embody an exemplary lifestyle of love that people get hungry for when they watch you live. They say, man, why are you not as offended by the boss as I am? You're carrying something else. Why are you nice to people when they don't tip? See, if you're going to be a Christian in culture, then your spirituality has to be attractive. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm always sad. <laughs> Bless God, I got the victory. You don't look like it. Who wants to be like that person? You know, but living in this culture that we live in is rapidly changing, man. It's something all the time. I, I, don't even, I don't even really watch the news that much anymore. I mean, I watch it a little bit. I get the headlines. But, man, it's just so much. I don't, know, I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't know who's making stuff up, you know. I don't know what their motivation is. I don't know what the angle is. I don't know. 
So in a rapidly changing culture, there's one thing that we have to do as Christians. You know what that is? Read this. <laughs> and right now, there is such an attack on the Bible. Would you guys agree? Such an attack on the Bible. Because the enemy understands, man, if we would stick to our roots, then we would be transformational in culture. How many of you guys know there, there's a difference in the truth and the facts? Everybody's on the new. Well, the facts are what the truth is. Well, the, the truth is, but here's why we're not going to it, because we don't know it, and we're not familiar with it. So instead of engaging culture, we're scared of culture. Instead of talking to people about the truth, we're scared to share the truth because we don't know when we're going to have to defend what we say we believe to someone who's more informed about a topic than we are, even though they're not Christian. Did you guys get all that? Because how many times does somebody bait you? Well, if you were a Christian, then you would, and they drop a little scripture you never even studied. And you're like, dang, it says that? And they're like, Google it. You obviously are not a real Christian. You don't know. So as a result, we're scared. Is, is, this, is this the truth? Am I, telling, am I telling you guys the truth? So as a result, we're scared. We say, man, I'm not saying nothing. Because moral, relative, moral relativism, you guys know what that is. Well, if it's good for you, it's good for you. If it's good for me, it's good for me. That's the diet of the day. So I don't want to say anything. I don't want to mess anything up because I don't want to have to defend what I believe. So instead of engaging culture, instead of getting in the world but not being of the world, instead of engaging culture, I'm just going to shrink back over here and I'm going to stick to my Christian bubble where all of my friends believe the exact same things that I do, vote for the same people I do, read the same newspapers I do, subscribe to the same blogs that I do. And we're just going to get together and we're going to speak Christianese to each other. And then wonder why nobody wants to hear what we have to say when we step out to evangelize. You know, say, I don't understand your language. You're talking a different, what are you? What's those Christian words? I don't know if I want to be like you. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? So there, there, there comes a time and place, and I think that's right now, where we're seeing some people begin to understand that the world is not something to be feared. Culture is not something to be scared of. Culture is something that we're called to engage in, not be formed by, but carry our identity into places where God wants to love people, into redemption. So we can't shrink back and be scared. So in order to do this, I, I, you know, Chris Hodges wrote an amazing book. I forgot to mention this first service. If you would like to read it, I would totally encourage you to read it. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. I've taken some of his notes. I'm going to use it for the sermon series. I've added to it a little bit, changed some things here and there. And, uh, and so if you want to read that book, it's called The Daniel Dilemma. Some of you guys do audio books or you read it. It's an amazing book. And I've been reading it, thinking about the life of Daniel, praying into the life of Daniel, reading through the book of Daniel, and just getting some understanding. Man, Daniel, he, did, he was such a parallel, exemplary missionary into culture that we can really learn a lot from today. You guys know Daniel's story, right? I'm, I'm going to read it. If you don't mind, pull it up. Daniel chapter 1. 
Uh, we'll read through this and, and, uh, and we'll dive in. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Took it over. How many of you guys know that Christians are called not to conform to culture, but to create culture? I believe that Christians should be the most creative people on planet Earth. How many of you guys know that God created the heavens and the earth? So if Yahweh lives on the inside of you, why do we struggle with our creativity? If we could tap into the most creative force in the universe, this should be good news for the artists in here, the poets in here, the painters in here, the songwriters in here. There is a supernatural creativity that resides on the inside of you. Right? Christians are called to be creative, and yet here it is, Nebuchadnezzar, a demonic king, a king that worshiped idols, a king that worshiped the idols of culture. He came and he besieged the holy city. He came and he took the people of God. You know why? Because they had sold out. Instead of staying true to who God had called them to become, and instead of staying true to worshiping Yahweh as their one and only true God, they started worshiping idols. They stayed religious. They kept going to temple. They kept giving the sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God because they were worshiping the idols of culture and they were cuddled up next to what was status quo and comfortable to be sure they didn't offend anybody. And as a result, God decided not to stop the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar because it says very clearly right there, and the Lord gave. Did you guys read that? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. What? They took, they took some of the things that the church has and they set it up for themselves to grab attention. They took some of the things that we do so well, the church does so well, that worship, man, that, that, that Sunday service that Kanye's doing. I mean, they're doing... They're taking the music because it man, it's a vibe, you know? Wow, yeah, that gospel music actually, okay, chance, let's go, you know? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about anybody, okay? Don't take it that way. What I'm telling you is, is that culture understands the power that's happening in the house of God. And they say, man, that's actually pretty powerful. Let's get that. Are you guys with me? So we're seeing that, and you know what? I think God wants to move through that. I think God wants to move through that. I personally love the fact Kanye's doing Sunday services. I know I'm not getting a whole lot of amens about that. Okay, all right, I see, okay. Personally, I love that Chance says Jesus in his records. Personally, I love that. You know why? Because whether people understand what they're hearing or not, they're learning about love. They're being exposed to something that maybe they're a little bit confused by, but they need somebody to disciple them. They need somebody to explain to them, what are those scriptures that they're quoting? What is that, that love that they're talking about? Who is Jesus really that they're talking about? Who's going to be those people who say, man, you know what? I like chance. Here's why I like them, man. You heard this? Oh, yeah, I heard that. Okay, you know what that means? No, I don't. Okay, well, let, let's, let's look at it real quick. Let me, show, let me show you where chance got that, man. Isn't that intriguing? You guys with me? So we got to sit and talk with people if we want to do that. We got to sit and talk with people. A lot of people won't, won't sit with anybody. You know why? 
because they have not discerned who God says they are yet. They see who they are projecting themselves to be, who they want to be identified as. But when we can see people through the lens of the Holy Spirit and recognize, man, that's God's child right there. That's a son. That's a daughter. Oh, yeah, what's up? That's my brother. That's my sister. We got the same DNA. An enemy is just somebody whose story you haven't heard yet. So get back to the scripture. So I'm just, I'm just going all around with this message. Y'all okay with it? Okay, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Lowercase g, next slide, please. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Now, right here, he's talking about those who won homecoming king, homecoming queen, the star athletes, the young, the young men. Coming up, NFL players, basketball players. You, you guys with me on this? So let's get some of those guys. They look good. They're smart. They're wise. Let's get some of those MIT students, some of those Yale students. Let's get some of those influencers. Built a following. Let's recruit them. Because culture has a plan. To teach them the literature and the language. Everybody say the culture. The culture of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. Say, so here you go. Let me, get, let me feed you a steady diet that we need you to consume so that you ever heard you are what you eat? So that you'll become like it. It's the, it's the ancient equivalent of. Hey, man, I'm messing with y'all now, huh? It's just an article coming up on my Apple thing. That's, I thought somebody texted me. Hey, Mr. Text. <laughs> but it tastes good. And it looked good. Because it's the king's food. It's what the people on top do. And of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. We're going to give you a little season of indoctrination. And at the end of that, you're going to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Names. Here, through culture, the enemy wants to accomplish something. He wants to claim you, tame you, and rename you. Because here's, here's what the enemy wants you to do. He said, hey, here's your name. How many of you guys grew up with a nickname? Yes. Two people. Okay. Um, it's great. Line up afterward. I'll give you one. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I, grew up, I grew up with a nickname. I grew up playing basketball. I was the only white boy on my team. And uh, so I wanted to fit into the hip-hop culture because that's what all my friends listen to. They listen to Bone Thugs and Harmony. 
Bum, 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 bum. Tell me what you going And so um, I remember I used to introduce myself to as, as kids. I said, my name is Lyle. And I had a, my southern accent was way stronger than it. What? And so I said, okay, my name is LP for Lyle Phillips. And they said, LPZ. So that was my nickname growing up. LPZ. That was my first tattoo when I was 18. It's right here. It says LPZ. What's up? It's a true story. I haven't had it covered up yet. I just roasted myself in front of all y'all. So vulnerable I am so much. I love you. So how many of you guys know that the enemy, he says, no, no, I want you to, I want you to identify yourself as the person you need to be to get your needs met. When you're looking at the culture, you're looking at the school, you're looking at the friends, you're looking at the people on the internet. Who do you need to be in order to become valuable? Who do you need to be in order to, in order to, 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 to feel important and to feel seen and to feel heard? Who do you need to become? That is your nickname. That's, who you, that's, the, that's the name that I'm going to put on you. Whoa. Whoa. Right? And so whenever he got Daniel and his friends together, he said, okay, Daniel, I'm going I'm to start with you. And uh, I'm going to rename you. And uh, how, many guys, how many guys know this? That the greatest, the biggest crime in the world right now, the biggest crime in the world right now, is something we call identity theft. Yeah. Anybody ever had your identity stolen before? You know why it's the greatest crime in the world right now? It's the greatest crime in the spirit. Yeah. Right? It's the greatest crime, crime in the spirit. So I love when you walk up with the guitar. It feels, it feels like Chris Stapleton. It's like, I don't know, it's just awesome. Yes, I'm into it. So Daniel gets, I'm going to move through this real quick, okay? I'm going to move through this part real quick because we got something special. You ready for it? Okay. Okay, let's go. So uh, Daniel gets a new name. So you guys know what Daniel's name means? It means God is my judge. That's what Daniel's name means. But he gets renamed by Belshazzar and his name becomes Lady Protect the King. What? So literally, he said, oh, Daniel, God is your judge. I'm going to rename you. I'm going to give you a girl's name. Lady, protect the king. Oh, you guys thought we were the first culture to argue over gender names and all that stuff, right? No, that's been happening for a long time. Been happening for a whole long. No, lady, you're a woman now. And God, uh, you know, God's not your judge anymore. Now you're responsible for protecting the king. Instead of being a son of God, you're not going to be a son of man. Instead of being somebody who, uh, instead of being somebody who is, oh man, God is my judge. Anyway, let's go to the next name. Anyways, you guys like that one? Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. But here's what Shadrach means: I am fearful of God. Instead of being named after a good God, here, here's what they renamed. They said. Now you got to be afraid of God. Right? Okay, Mishael means, who can compare to my God? No one. Here's what Meshach means. I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So, uh, you know, basically they said, oh, you got all this confidence in God? Okay, we're going to move that to cowardice. 
right? So, Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Abednego means the servant of Nebo. So, he said, okay, you're no longer a son of God. You're now a slave of man. That's, that's, your, that's your new name, right? And so here's what happens in culture. And this is, this is 10 times out of 10. I, I'm sure you guys can agree. When we, when we start to, you know, connect in culture, the first thing that culture hands us is a life script. There you go. Get out onto the stage of life and you read your lines and you do not deviate from it. Right? You line up and don't go against the grain of culture because if you go against the grain of culture, we're going to persecute you. Right? That's what ends up, that's what ends up happening. Um, and so culture tries to put these labels on us. Say, we're going to define you by your greatest mistake. Who you are. That's you. That's your, that is your whole identity now. We're going to take you and, and we're going we're gonna to address you from, the, from your past. And we're going to put that label on you. And we're going to say, that's you now. That's your identity. You can never get away from that anymore. That's who you are. Or it's something good that happened in your life. Oh, you did something great in your past 10 years ago, and now you're fighting in your mind trying to get back to the golden era of when you did something good, when people congratulated you for something you accomplished. You guys get what I'm saying? And so it's like, there's the label. There's the label. Here's the label. Oh, man, oh, man, I, you know, I was a drug addict. Okay, there's the label. Oh, man, I, I, I committed this crime. There's the label. I was a prisoner. There's the label. Right? And that's what, that's what culture says. We got to identify people by what they do and how they behave. And see, if you, if you allow culture to define you, you're going to have to live up to culture's standards of how they measure you. And the way culture measures you is always external, never internal. They measure you based on your behavior. But the way God, see, God doesn't look on the outside appearance. He looks at the heart. And so God is looking at your heart. And he's saying, I have an identity for you. And there's a lot we can do. We can reinvent ourselves a little bit. I see a lot of books out there. You know, hey, reinvent yourself. Do something new. Be a new person. Be a different person. Okay, well, great. Try that out. I think there's good in some of that. But at the end of the day, there's only so much work we can do. Because God created us. God fashioned us, right? Amen? He's given us our identity. He's told us who we are. And when culture touches us, we might get a new name. But here's the thing. Whenever God touches you, you get a new name. When God touched Jacob, he became Israel. When God touched Abram, he became Abraham. When God touched Simeon, he became Peter. When God touched Saul, he became Paul. When we are touched by God, our identity is more authentically revealed. So so all I'm asking you guys, all I'm telling you guys today, as you think about this, listen, I promise you, culture wants to tell you who you are, but don't let them. Don't let them, okay? Because if you're going to be a Christian that engages in culture, it has to start with who you are. Because who you are, how you see yourself will determine the actions you take and the decisions that you make in your life. How you see yourself will determine your action plan in life. And so it's so important that we not allow anybody to define me. My parents don't get to define me. My friends don't get to define me. Facebook doesn't get to define me. Nobody gets to define me but God. God gets to define me. God, you speak to me about who you've called me to be. That's what I'm going to step out in. That's what I'm going to engage with. That's where I'm going to preach from. That's where I'm going to talk from. That's where I'm going to live from. That's where I'm going to create from. That's where I'm going to write music from. That's where I'm going to do business from. It's going to be from my core identity in Jesus. And if we're going to influence culture, that has to be something that's been decided. We all have an identity, and we all have a purpose. And if we don't know what it is, we'll simply become a distorted mirage of culture. 
a hodgepodge of this person's popular this month, so I'll take a little bit of that. That person's, you know, hype right now, so I'm going to take a little bit of that. This person, okay, I'm going to steal a little bit of that. You know what our generation needs? Affection. It doesn't have it, so the generation settles for attention. If I can't have your affection, then I'll get your attention. But we'll know what to do when we know who we are because purpose is identity in action. Purpose is identity in action.